Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer and set of offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models in dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. This is Atlanta. The food. The wine. The entertainment. The lifestyle. This is Belinda Skelton's Atlanta Living. Sponsored by Vane Innovations. Welcome to Atlanta Living. I'm your host, Belinda Skelton. With me is Dr. Fred Young. He's a retired teacher of 41 years from the Westminster Schools. Dr. Young taught history and is beloved greatly by his students. He almost has a cult following of his students. And I brought Dr. Young into the studio today to talk about Thanksgiving because no one can tell the story and the facts of Thanksgiving like Dr. Young. So thank you so much for spending a little time with us today. And I want you to just tell us a little bit about how the facts around the first Thanksgiving started, because it looks nothing like what we celebrate today, does it? Not really. Uh, they had the pilgrims there in Plymouth Colony had been through a horrific winter of 1620, 1621. And during January and February of uh, 16, uh, well, the winter months after they arrived, mm-hmm. they had a sickness hit them. Probably it was a flu-like illness, and they certainly were not, uh, they had poor nutrition during the voyage, not having any fresh fruits and vegetables, and they tried to deal with that. The British Navy had already learned that drinking lemon juice or lime juice would prevent scurvy. So they drink, I, can, I can't imagine what that must have been like, right. probably about six ounces of lemon juice straight each oh, day. Oh, gosh. But um, the sickness hit, they were weakened, and uh, half of their total number of about 100 died during January and February. And uh, they finally came through that. that. Spring rolled around, and they were out working in their gardens, and they knew that they had to, to press on. And So literally, was, Dr. Young, they lost half of everyone who came across on that small boat, the Mayflower. Yes. That's incredible. And there, January and February, the, the primary source indicates um, two or three died a de- per day during January and February. So they, uh, when spring finally arrived, it was a pretty severe winter, too, even for New England, mm-hmm. they were out working in their gardens, and... Uh, an Indian walked out of the woods. And we have, by the way, what I'm telling you, we have from primary sources, uh, Governor Bradford's diary and the letters of a man named Edward Winslow and a, a few other uh, eyewitness accounts. Okay. Well, this Indian came out March the 16th, 1621, walked boldly up to where they were working in their garden. Of course, they must have been standing open-mouthed and said, Greetings, do you have any beer? And <laughs> In English? In, in English. He had learned English from English fishermen who had been fishing uh, from uh, for, uh, off the coast there. Where else? Well, they were fishing for codfish, so that's how Cape Cod got its name. It was a famous place for commercial fishermen even then. So, uh, right. So um, he told them that uh, they said, well, we don't have any beer, uh, but they did have some brandy, and they sat down before him uh, the food they had, which was English food, and he ate it like uh, there was no tomorrow. And when he finished eating, they found out that he had learned 
uh, his English and how to like English food from just association with English fishermen. Well, he said that there was someone they should meet. And so he came back the next day with uh, an Indian named Tisquantum, or ever since Squanto, they mm-hmm. shortened his name to, mm-hmm. who spoke um, uh, fluent English. To make his story as short as I can, he was uh, kidnapped by a Spanish fisherman, taken back to, I'm sorry, English fisherman, taken back over across the Atlantic and sold into slavery into Spain. We're talking about Squanto now. Okay. Then he managed to get, get to England uh, some way. We don't know exactly how, because he, he wasn't literate and didn't write this down. And um, these are just bits and pieces that you gather from people who knew his story. Came back across the Atlantic. He obviously wanted to go back home, and so his being fluent in English would make him a, a good helper to the pilgrims, as it turned out. Sure. Well, uh, when uh, fall came around, after um, a, really a quite a good year, following, of course, the tragedy of the winter, they planted the corn. Squanto um, told them how to fertilize it. For example, they had to get. The fish, and probably most school children have heard that story, but they, they had to. Uh, it takes a lot of fish to fertilize 20 acres of corn, so wow. they were quite busy doing that. And they had to have the men sleep in the fields at night for two weeks after they planted it to keep the uh, wolves from digging it up until the uh, fish had, um, uh, well, I guess the word is rotted yeah. and beca- become just fertilizer. So, um, once uh, the harvest had come in in the um, early fall, Governor Bradford, who, by the way, would serve for th- over 31-year terms as governor of Plymouth Colony without pay most of the time, said they ought to have a, a Thanksgiving. Uh, they had an annual Thanksgiving Day back in when they were living in exile in Holland on the 3rd of October, and that was a national holiday, actually, to celebrate the fact that they had uh, won their independence mm-hmm. from the uh, Spaniards. So uh, preparations for the first Thanksgiving began in early October. We don't know exactly what day it was, but probably it was in October except and, and not November. Okay. So they had an excellent harvest, and they decided to um, send a messenger to the Indians and to invite Massasoit, who was the chief of the, as best as we can tell, Wampanoag, Sometimes it's confusing whether this is a language or a tribal group, but he was a Wampanoag, and Governor Bradford sent four men out to go hunting for wildfowl, especially turkeys, and to send an um, invitation to Massasoit to invite him to come. So um, the men came back with enough wild turkeys, as the records say, to feed the whole company for almost a week. And weren't there deer, uh, weren't there on record that they had four or five deer back from that hunt? Well, actually, the Indians uh, uh, actually showed up with a deer. Okay. Master saw it, uh, except the invitation, they showed up with five, um, five deer, as the record says, five fine deer. So I guess that means they were, they were um, big and adequate for the feast. The seafood, of course, was a big deal. They had eel, lobster, and shellfish. Mm-hmm. Um, and when Massasoit arrived with the five deer, it was a good thing because he also had brought 90 of his uh, braves or warriors with him. So there were almost twice as many Native Americans at the first Thanksgiving there in, in Plymouth 
as, as they right. were pilgrims. So, and, what and were the side dishes? Would you would you think? And 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 here we have lots of pies at our Thanksgiving, but sugar would have been non-existent at that point. Well, they would have had some sugar with them. Um, uh, probably in the well, they would have. I'm sorry, they would have sweetener with them in the form of molasses. Okay. And the household gardens did well that that um, summer, so they had they had uh, vegetables. It's interesting they referred to the vegetables as salads, not not s a l a d, but s a l l e t s. But I'm sure the two words are related. They uh, had parsnips and carrots and turnips and onions and cucumbers and radishes and beets and cabbage mm-hmm. and plenty of wild fruit grew in the area gooseberries strawberries plums cherries and no pumpkins as far as we know uh, that the, 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 they do not turn up on the menu well um they also had plenty of wine they had run out of beer um and so they wasted no time uh, brewing some white and red wine from the wild grapes that grew nearby wow and, and you can imagine probably the vintage was probably a bit green. <laughs> yes, <laughs> one year. October. <laughs> and, of course, the bread, they, they'd run out of flour, so they had um, used cornmeal for hoe cakes and probably what we would call uh, fried cornbread or roasted cornbread over mm-hmm. coals. And uh, it was the first encounter that the pilgrims had with uh, popcorn. Um, they didn't know about popcorn, but the Indians would put, uh, as best as we could tell, two or three inches of popcorn into a clay pot, and it was a, t- a tall clay pot, and put it on the coals, and it would uh, it would pop that way. The cooking was almost done. That was certainly done out in the open, no doubt. Venison, turkey, geese, and partridges. I don't know if I mentioned the other wild birds, the oysters and the lobsters. Clam chowder, venison stew, quite a lot of cooking. As it would turn out, the celebration would last three days. Three days. The, the, it's or, interesting, now, isn't it? Wow. The cooking or the eating lasted three days? <laughs> cooking, cooking every morning and the eating lasted three days. So they had three days of feasting. I, I think we need to keep that tradition. Uh, well, we kind of do, but maybe maybe not formally. Also, if I'd like to add a, a bit about what the pilgrims wore, I think we have a there's a famous painting of the pilgrims um, going to church, and they're not wearing what pilgrims wore. They're dressed like um, well, the Quakers were dressed like that, but not the pilgrims were Elizabethans, mm-hmm. and Elizabethan England was a time when the people really loved the color, and we know from the records that. Elder William Brewster, who was the pastor of the Pilgrims, had a violet, V-I-O-L-E-T, colored suit. Mm-hmm. Um, Miles Standish, who was their uh, military guy, or we would say, I guess, their town policeman, had a um, sky blue satin suit. Wow. And the men and the women wore shoes that had uh, silver buckles. They would have been dressed in their, in their very best. Wow. We're going to take a break right here, Dr. Young, and when we come back, we'll talk about more about what the first Thanksgiving was about, what their dress was. There are some myths uh, surrounding the first Thanksgiving, and we'll debunk those. You're listening to Atlanta Living, only on News 95.5 and AM 750 WSB. Back to Belinda Skelton. 
and welcome back to Atlanta Living. I'm your host, Belinda Skelton, and this is our Thanksgiving edition of Atlanta Living, where we're speaking with Dr. Fred Young, former teacher of the Westminster Schools and a history teacher, and we're speaking with him about the first Thanksgiving, and we were just talking about how we were thinking that the pilgrims were very drab in their dress and and black and white with the silver buckles but maybe we had that all wrong they were very happening and and very glib in their dress so dr young describe how maybe their dress was a little different than what we had in mind very very different it's an um this elizabethan england and of course uh, elizabeth had died a few years before but the uh it's still Elizabethan England in terms of fashion, uh, lots of ways in clothing fashion particularly. Um, these were pilgrims were middle-class Englishmen, and some of them would have been upper-class. Uh, uh, Elder Brewster, Governor Carver, for example, uh, were very finely decked out that day. Uh, the, there were no drab blacks and browns uh, to be seen. The governor had what was described as a fine red cloak. I already I mentioned William Brewster had a violet suit, mm-hmm. and the ladies' uh, dresses were also very colorful. They probably, and seen from our perspective, would have spent more on their clothing than uh, the average middle-class family would today. The men and the women wore very bright, uh, colorful, and uh, decorative clothing. Well, what about the Native Americans? Uh, we see pictures in in our history books of uh, big elaborate headdresses and uh, the Native American blankets. Is that what they would have worn to the first Thanksgiving? Pretty much, except the headdresses wouldn't have been elaborate for the uh, those living in that part of New England. Uh, they sometimes would uh, paint, the, the men and the women would paint their faces with uh, uh, red color, red ochre it's called, and uh, certainly would have had maybe uh, maybe a few feathers in their in their hair, both sexes, and beyond that, uh, it's really hard to tell because we don't have we don't have anything but paintings from that period. Of course, no no photography, obviously, and and uh, very uh, very little description. Uh, they were uh, wearing uh, the women would wear some uh, a blanket draped over their shoulders very mm-hmm. often, and and the men, but but. It was only when when they were working, of course, uh, they, let's just say they were dressed for comfort. <laughs> okay. We're talking about the first Thanksgiving with Dr. Fred Young, former teacher at the Westminster Schools. And when we come back, we're going to talk more about the first Thanksgiving, the changes that took place and how the first Thanksgiving came about. Uh, being declared a holiday. You're listening to Atlanta Living only on News 95.5 and AM 750 WSB. Is Belinda Skelton's Atlanta Living sponsored by Vane Innovations. Living folks, happy Thanksgiving. I'm Belinda Skelton, and I'm here with Dr. Fred Young, former teacher of the Westminster Schools here in Atlanta, Georgia, and he was a history teacher at Westminster for 41 years. He has a cult-like following with his students, very loved, and uh, if you want to know anything about history, he's your man. And Dr. Young, we're speaking about the first Thanksgiving, and let's talk more about about things that were going on uh, during and around the first Thanksgiving. 
Well, it's interesting that between the uh, meals, or the, the, they probably ate, uh, as best as we could tell, between noon and about 3 in the afternoon. Mm-hmm. But uh, the guests and the hosts um, had games of sport and skill. We know from the primary sources they were they were shooting exhibitions with guns and bows, and Massasoit and his men were impressed to discover that some of the pilgrims, especially Miles Standish, who was their uh, military commander, could handle a bow and arrow really well. And also, there were foot races between the uh, some of the Indian younger men and the uh, uh, some of the pilgrims, like John Alden and John Howland. Uh-huh. They had they had foot races and wrestling matches, and <laughs> also they Plymouth introduced the Indians to their favorite sport stool ball, S-T-O-O-L-B-A-L-L, which involved batting a ball through a series of wickets in a sort of uh, rough-and-tumble croquet, not not exactly right. fast-moving fast and hard-hitting. And, no doubt, people enjoyed watching uh, Captain Standish entertain with military maneuvers. He marched the company around and down the main street, and going putting them through some... Uh, some drills, and then he had them um, fire their muskets. And then uh, they took the opportunity to march back up to the top of the hill that they'd call Fort Hill and fired the cannons, which uh, I guess would be the modern equivalent would be fireworks. And this is important because one of the things, the reasons that Massasoit had made contact with them originally is that he wanted to make an alliance with the pilgrims because Massasoit occasionally was getting beaten up by the Narragansett tribe, who were bigger than he was. Mm. And he, he felt that if he could make some kind of agreement with the pilgrims, then the Narragansetts would be afraid of their um, their guns. And interestingly enough, the agreement that was made on the occasion of the first Thanksgiving lasted for 50 years without any wow. conflict. So that that's astonishing. It is. And uh, Squanto. Squanto. He was really instrumental to the pilgrims in keeping them alive, um, giving them the life they had, and being teaching them how to be diplomatic with the Indians that were there. Yes, he, he was quite a diplomat, and of course, and being fluent in not only in English but knowing how these Englishmen thought and knowing how the uh, Native Americans in that area thought, he was. Uh, he, he was uh, a very skilled negotiator. Um, he also came up with some very important agricultural tips. He said you shouldn't plant your corn. That We're talking about Squanto still. He told the pilgrims you shouldn't plant your corn until the leaves on the oak trees are the size of a squirrel's ear in the spring. Now, to us that might sound a little funny, but it, uh, a little odd, but if you think about it, that wouldn't be the same day each year. It would be when a certain number of, uh, after the sun had turned and things were moving back towards spring, mm-hmm. a certain the time of the year when the leaves would be that size would be probably, in most cases, before um, or after the last uh, frost. So that would be an, something they would need to know. And they they didn't know anything about how to catch eels, and he simply walked, marched them down to uh, the edge of the water at low tide and showed them how to uh, how to catch eels, which uh, certainly was a, a food that would be readily readily available uh, year round. So he was he was instrumental 
uh, well, actually, that's the word that Governor Bradford used. He said, a special instrument of God for our help is the way he put it. Absolutely. Uh, well, the Mayflower did not land uh, where it was supposed to. It, it, uh, they chose a course, correct me if I'm wrong, they chose a course a little more north and hit land earlier than, uh, than they were supposed to. Yes, they, they actually were, they were north of the area they had been specifically authorized, and this is a big deal, uh, being authorized by the king to establish a, a colony. So, um, some of the soldier, uh, the sailors rather on board were annoyed, uh, by the hardships and certainly like sailors are tr- uh, traditionally a rebellious lot anyway, but mm-hmm. when they found out that they had, were in the new world, and not exactly where the king had told them they could make a establish a settlement, they began to say things like, when we get off this ship, we're going to do what we want. You have no authority to tell us what to do because you're not where you're supposed to be. So they called a kind of emergency meeting, and this was the day after they actually had dropped anchor. They called it an emergency meeting and spent much of the night writing up what became known as the Mayflower Compact. And the probably the one who actually wrote it was their their Cambridge graduate Elder Brewster um, their spiritual leader and they they wrote up the compact and there are two main things that in the Mayflower compact they say uh, they said the undersigned agreed to establish a government when we get off this boat we're going to establish a government one and two we're going to obey what that government tells us to do and they called all the men in. This was before uh, the women had uh, the vote mm-hmm. anywhere, probably. Uh, so they called all the men in, and 41 of 65 men on board did sign it. 13 uh, of those who did not sign it were sons of signers, so their fathers obligated them. Mm-hmm. And so you only had nine servants and two of the hired sailors that, 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 that had signed on just for that particular voyage. And we had 11 uh, who didn't sign it. And so they grumblingly went along with it. But it, the Mayflower Compact has um, since come to mean a great deal, as some would say the beginning of, of um, uh, democratic self-government in this country. It might be a little bit of a stretch to say that, but certainly it was an important step. Well, the first Thanksgiving was issued, the proclamation in... 1789 by George Washington, who issued the first Thanksgiving proclamation by the uh, national government of the United States. But that's not the only, that's not where it stopped. Oh, no, it uh, it continued uh, until um, the, uh, that particular Thursday, until the Roosevelt administration. And uh, I'll also have to say that during the, during the Civil War, um, the Southern Confederacy also had a day of Thanksgiving. So, interestingly enough, that the war that ripped the country apart, you still had Thanksgiving days being observed uh, on both on both sides during that uh, time when the uh, the Civil War was going on. But Roosevelt's administration, President Roosevelt, as a way to try to uh, help with the business hard times, backed up the Thanksgiving date, I believe, to an earlier Thursday in November. But there was such pushback that he had to reverse himself on that. So it's that fourth Thursday in November 
that we have now. Dude, now, did Roosevelt do that to give more shopping days before Christmas? Was that his was that his reasoning during the Depression? Almost certainly it was, because uh, a lot of things that he did in this very desperate time during the Depression was try to do something to stimulate um, economic uh, um, activity of any kind. So that was um, one of the things, no doubt, that he came up with or his economic advisors did. Well, that, did, that didn't sit well with a lot of people. No. Uh, once... It's amazing that people are not uh, particular. Once you get used to celebrating a particular holiday at a particular time, <laughs> most people want to uh, not tamper with that. Um, some Native Americans take issue with still the Thanksgiving story and, and how it's presented to the American public and to school children. There are still a lot of Native Americans who look at it as a long, bloody history of conflict between Native Americans and European settlers. Yes, uh, that, that, is, that is a point of view. Uh, I take issue with that, uh, that point of view by simply noted, noting that the early encounters were friendly and the agreement that was made at the first Thanksgiving caused, uh, introduced a period of um, amity, uh, non-conflict, between the uh, pilgrims who, were, uh, who settled there and the ones who came later and the Puritans as well as uh, uh, and the Native Americans so that they, they actually visited each other. One of, the, one of the stipulations of that agreement that they made first Thanksgiving was that, was that they would visit each other, the leaders would visit. So mm. there were, um, not to say there was no conflicts or quarrels, but anytime you have human beings uh, interacting with each other, there are going to be disagreements. But there were no violent conflicts or any wars until uh, almost a half century after that uh, agreement was made. The thing that I would like to point out is yeah. that once they established um, once they, they established um, relationships there with the Native Americans a little bit later, um, whenever uh, Native Americans sometimes would get uh, have a quarrel over something, they would come to the pilgrims' leaders and get them to mediate which is interesting. Dr. Young, we're going to take our last break and come back with our final segment about the first Thanksgiving. You're listening to Atlanta Living only on News 95.5 and AM 750 WSV. Now more of Belinda Skelton's Atlanta Living. And welcome back to Atlanta Living. I'm your host, Belinda Skelton, and we are talking about the first Thanksgiving with Dr. Fred Young from the Westminster Schools, retired teacher, 41 years. And Dr. Young, there are some myths out there about the first Thanksgiving. Well, about about the pilgrims in particular, I'd like to back up just a little bit and say that the month of May uh, began auspiciously. Uh, Plymouth had its first marriage. Oh, um, Governor Bradford performed a ceremony uh, binding uh, uh, Susanna White, who was a, a widow of three months, and Edward Winslow, a widower of two months. So these these had both lost their spouses during the horrible uh, winter, but now it was spring, and they had a wedding. Uh, one of the most misleading myths about these uh, early Americans, I think, is that they their indifference to enjoying life. They Certainly they took their faith seriously, but they also relished good food, um, good drink and good conversation. And like all the Elizabethans, they love music. And at the Winslow Wedding Feast, they no doubt it uh, showed their skill at singing um, 
these complex songs called madrigals, and uh, they were um, uh, uh, poems set to music. You can just see when you read the primary sources that they had come through some hard times, but they were they were delighted with what they had done and where they were living, and were looking forward to. Uh, to making a making a home in what they call their plantation, which we should think of as a uh, use that English word the way they used it. It was a transplantation. They they didn't think of themselves as Americans yet, but they thought of themselves as English people who had been planted or transplanted into America, and they were. They saw it as a great adventure, and they obviously were enjoying it. I've enjoyed our conversation, Dr. Young, and I've learned tremendous amount um, from you. So happy Thanksgiving to you and to all of our listeners, and thank you so much, Dr. Young. Thanks so much for having me. Folks, you've been listening to Atlanta Living, and thank you, everyone, and have a blessed Thanksgiving. News 95.5 and 8. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive offers. 15178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models in dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark.